0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, it is a blessing to know that you are our God, that there is no other God aside from you. Help us this morning that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. May the words of your sacred book communicate to us the truth that you intend. Help me that I would be yielded to you. vessel fit for your use. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have developed trust in all manner of things. I don't know if you carry, like, actual money anymore, or if you only carry, like, things that represent money. Most of the time I have no cash, no change, no nothing on me except a credit card or my phone that I can go down to Dunkin' Donuts and there's this app really cool. I I press this button and and they they give me coffees. (laughs) Same thing at Starbucks. I like it. It's like I don't have to take any money out of my wallet. But if you were to have cash and you looked on that cash, you would see the expression, in God we trust. If you were to go to a Patriots game in Foxborough, you would see other signs that say, in Bill we trust. People trust the government to take care of them. People trust doctors to help them get better physically. People trust psychiatrists to help them understand themselves better. People trust their own experience as dogmatic truth. The Bible speaks about faith, and people speak about faith. The logical question, though, is are we talking about the same thing? Are we saying the same thing? Sometimes people think that it is the quantity of faith that matters. Believe harder. Believe more. Believe stronger. Believe more passionately. More quantity. Quantity of faith matters. Other people think that the quality of faith matters. She's so sincere. He's so sincere. People think that you need to have faith in something. I remember a number of years ago, I was ministering to a young man. He was a nice guy. And we were going through the Word together. I was just showing him things from the Scriptures. And he started to minister to someone else. And this this other person he was ministering to didn't want to pray to God. He didn't want to talk to God. He was afraid to talk to God. And so this young man... He, he thought he had a great idea. He didn't have a great idea, but he thought he had a great idea. He said, well, pray to your daughter. At least you'll believe in something. You can have tons of faith in your daughter, and she's still not going to save your soul. You can have tons of faith in this government, and you may find yourself hungry. You may have lots of faith in some doctor somewhere and you may still find yourself in a coffin. You may have great confidence in the psychiatrist and you might find not everything functions in your mind quite the way you wish it would even after talking to them. You must recognize that it's not about the quantity of faith. Jesus referred to that when he said he just takes a mustard seed of faith. Or the Quality of the faith. You can be as sincere as you want in the wrong thing, but it's about the object. The object of that faith. That's what really matters. Take a look with me at Galatians 3. Now, we covered this passage last week. We covered from verse 7 down through verse 14. But I mentioned to you last week we were going to come back and readdress verse 11. And that will be our discussion this morning for a few minutes. The Bible says in verse 11 of Galatians 3, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. This is a strong and succinct statement. And it's obviously very, very important. For it was first mentioned in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4. It really is the heart of the message of the prophet Habakkuk, that the the just or the righteous shall live by faith. It is repeated three times in the New Testament. It It is quoted three times in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. It's first mentioned in the book of Romans. The emphasis in the book of Romans when Paul writes this expression, the righteous shall live by faith. The emphasis is upon justification. Justification. Well, what is justification? Well, most of you know what justification is. But in case you don't remember, let me remind you. Justification has two essential aspects. Two results. And one means... And one object. Two results. The removal of our sin. That's God's mercy. The removal of our sin. God's mercy. That's the first result of justification. There's a second result of justification. And it's addition. That's grace. God is giving us something we don't deserve. And that addition is Jesus' righteousness to our account. Justification results in the removal of my sin the consequences of my sin, and the record of my sin. The debt of my sin is washed out. God's mercy, he takes away my sin. The second result of justification is the addition of Jesus Christ's righteousness. That's God's grace. And what happens is, my record is forever changed. I stand complete and righteous and perfect forever before God. Those are the results of justification. The means, how does it take place? The means of justification is by faith. But someone is not saved simply by faith. They're saved by faith in someone. In something, or better, someone. And that is the object of our faith, is Jesus Christ. And so we can rightly say, we are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. We're saved by grace, Through faith in Christ. Romans emphasizes that aspect of justification. The book of Hebrews has a different emphasis when it brings up the righteous shall live by faith. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 just for a moment. So in Romans, the righteous, there's the emphasis, shall live by faith. Those who have been justified. In Hebrews, you will notice that the end of this expression is the emphasis. The righteous shall live by faith. This is the emphasis in Hebrews chapter 10 is upon glorification. The end of our faith. The results of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, we're cutting into the context where he is telling them, I I remember when you experienced persecution and, and you ministered to others... I want you to remember those days. And then he tries to encourage them to to continue in this faith. He says in verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence. What does it say? Which has what? Great reward. He's emphasizing the end there, correct? Verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may what? Receive what is promised. He's talking about the end. Then he gives us a little explanation for yet a little while and the coming one, the one who comes, reference to Jesus, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and what is the result of that? and preserve their souls. What is he talking about? He's talking about the end again. When you see this expression, the righteous shall live by faith, in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the end of our faith and how it brings forth uh, this this confidence in God's blessing, in God's rewards, and that God will preserve us. So there's this emphasis upon glorification. Well, back in Galatians chapter 3, the emphasis is not upon the righteous shall live by faith, but upon that the righteous shall live by faith. And so we see this is emphasizing sanctification. The righteous shall live by faith. Now we have for us defined in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we have this concept of faith defined. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of, of things not seen. In other translations, it's faith is the substance. If you want a a nice little thought, faith is the handle that we can hold on to. Faith in Christ and the promises of God is something we can hold on to as it is so real and so vibrant You can actually, in your inner sense, feel like you're grabbing onto something that's real. It's this concept of stepping on a rock. A rock that will not move. A rock that is a solid foundation. Faith is the substance. It's the the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a handle by which we can hold on to what God has promised. My question for you, for us to consider is, what is the object of your faith? In blank... We trust. Faith is often tested. Faith is often tested. And I want to just give you a a way to recount this in your minds from the scriptural record. You remember Adam and Eve? In the garden, before sin, their faith was tested. You remember? What was the option? Believe God or believe the serpent? The serpent offered them something that he couldn't deliver on. The serpent offered them the ability to be just like God. Now, for those of us biblical theologians, we know that God made man and woman in his own image. That's the likeness of God. They actually, in the obedience to the serpent rather than faith in God, what happened is they actually were further away from the likeness of God than ever before. They had been made in the image of God. They were like God in the ways that God made them to be like him, in his his image. Cain and Abel. (laughs) If you have a set of notes, it actually says Cain and Abel in my notes. (laughs) Nice spelling job there. The question was, believe God or your own wisdom. God demonstrated for Adam and Eve what a sacrifice to him was supposed to be like. And Cain had a better idea. He had a better idea. His own wisdom. As you follow a little further, you come to this person, Abram or Abraham. And and you'll notice Abraham is tested numerous times in his faith. And he's actually called in our New Testament Bibles the father of faith. Abraham was tested in his faith with regard to his location. In Genesis 12. You remember that? Get up from your own people, your own land, your own kindred, go to a place I will show you. Tested by location. That's pretty hard. Then he was tested in his fertility in Genesis 15 and numerous other locations. You will bear a son. This son will be your seed, and from this seed there will be a multitude of seeds. Seed, multitude of nations, and through that seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He was challenged. His faith was tested with regard to fertility. Some tests are more fun than others. Security, he was also tested. So here he is. He's he's tested his location and his fertility and his security. Now, why am I saying security? Remember when he left Ur of the Chaldees and he comes to one location in Genesis 12 and he lies about his wife? What was the reason he lied? He didn't really trust God to keep him alive. He had his own ingenious idea. I'll tell them she's my sister. Well, it worked once. May as well try it again. So Genesis 20, he does it again. I'll lie to to Abimelech. He was tested in his faith for, for his security. And then further than that, Abraham was tested by God concerning God's provision you'll remember in Genesis 22 God told Abraham he would provide for himself a lamb a ram an an offering and Abraham takes his son up on the top of Mount Moriah trusting God and you remember knife in the air maybe headed downward God stops him in his tracks and says over there I have a ram for you instead of your son. Faith is tested. It's tested in various ways. Your faith is tested daily. Faith is the operation at work in the life of the believer. The righteous shall live day in and day out by faith. And that is not necessarily an easy Trek. There are challenges we face like everyone else. Sometimes it may even feel like it's more than anyone else. The just, the righteous, shall live by faith. I want to look at another passage of scripture that I think will help us in our own meditation this morning. Take a look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. You know, folks, we we are regularly up against. A test of our faith, and it's it's every day, and it's it's a lot more subtle. It's more subtle than dealing with a cancerous tumor or a displaced hip or a torn rotator cuff or a heartbeat murmur. It's more subtle, and it has to do with our affections, it has to do with our desires. It has to do with what satisfies us, what we seek for satisfaction. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 2, God is challenging his people. And I think that challenge is just as vibrant today as it was those many years ago when this was first uttered by Jeremiah to the people of Israel. Beginning in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5, I want for us to read a couple of sections in chapter 2 and 1 in chapter 3 says in verse 5 of Jeremiah 2, Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? In other words, what, what did I do wrong? Why, why are you looking for satisfaction Somewhere else. Why do you not trust me to sustain you and to give you what you need? What, what did I do that caused you to turn your eyes away? Verse 6. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that... <sighs> None passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit; therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. Look at verse eleven. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be appalled! And he calls the heavens as witness, O oh, heavens, be appalled, O oh, heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've forsaken me. They're seeking something else. They think it's better. They think it will satisfy. They're looking for living waters where there's miry clay. You're seeking broken cisterns. You put stuff in, and guess what happens? A broken cistern leaks. It doesn't hold the water that you're seeking. Look at chapter 3 now, beginning in verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you've rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners. You've scattered your treats among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and true from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, it shall not come to mind, or be remembered or missed, it shall not be made again. What is he saying here? When when you turn to me, and you find me, and you know me, the ark of the covenant of the Lord will mean nothing to you. I'm that good. I'm that good. You won't need some bench made out of gold or overlaid with gold. You won't need the the contents of the, the... Covenant of the Lord. You won't need that as a reminder. I'll be right there with you. We, we see these these warnings to, to Israel. We see these warnings to Judah. We see how they forsook these warnings. We see them. And we still seek our satisfaction in other things. What, what kinds of things might we seek our satisfaction from? Here's just a list. You, you You've got to answer for yourself. Materialism. We like our cars. We like our clothes. We like our homes. We like our stuff. We like our vacations. We like, we like opulence. We like going to dinner. We like all these things. If you seek your satisfaction there, there's nothing wrong with having a nice vehicle or a nice home or nice clothes or going out to dinner. Nothing wrong with any of that. If you're seeking your satisfaction there, on the other hand, that's, that's another story. We can seek our satisfaction in sensuality In our minds, with our bodies, things unmentionable, seeking satisfaction there. We can seek our satisfaction through food. We can. We we can say, ah, I'm so bummed out. Let me dive into this bag of chips. Let me dive into this, this, this barrel of ice cream. Let me dive into this seven pizzas We can seek our satisfaction. Is there anything wrong with eating chips? Well, there probably is, but (laughs) another story altogether. Is there anything wrong with eating seven pieces? Well, there probably is. But if we're seeking our satisfaction there, it's about what we're looking to accomplish by our eating. What other things do we seek? How about our relationships? Whenever you think your spouse can do what only Jesus can do for you, you've turned a relationship into an idol. Seeking satisfaction there. They can't satisfy you. There's satisfaction, right? It's a great thing. It's not good that man should be left alone. I will make him a, a helper compatible to him. We, we, there is satisfaction in a relationship, but if we're seeking our ultimate satisfaction there, what we've done is we've become idol worshipers. We're seeking our satisfaction in them instead of Christ. Our vocation can be our place we seek satisfaction. I can be really good at my job and I can can have all these accolades and that makes me feel good and so I continue to pursue that as a source of satisfaction. Some people, isolation does it for them. I'd rather be by myself. I don't like the noise. I don't like the the fuss and the muss. I don't like their attitude. I don't like their personality. I don't like like anyone to talk to me. I just want to be by myself. Isolation can be something that we seek for satisfaction. Guess what? It's a broken cistern. Did you know did you know, regardless of your personality, you were meant to fellowship with others? You were created, regardless of your personality, created to minister one to another, to fellowship one with another. That doesn't take place, folks, between 11 and 12:15 on a Sunday.. It does, you it's just like a little blip on it. This is the time we gather for corporate worship. It's beautiful and wonderful, but it does not produce ultimate satisfaction. To 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 do for ourselves and b- with broken cisterns, what only Christ can do. What are you actively trusting in to satisfy you? Actively, right now, what are you seeking to satisfy you? What what have you been this last week? What what has been your pursuit for satisfaction? Are you thinking about it? I hope you are, because if you fade it out, you're just wasting your time. What have you been seeking for satisfaction? Here's the follow-up question. Ready? Is it working? Is it working? Like If you're seeking satisfaction in these things, and like temporarily you feel, oh yeah, I enjoyed this event, and I enjoyed that event, are you satisfied? Look at one other text of Scripture, one uh, section of Scripture, John chapter 4. The righteous shall live by faith. Yes, true. Those who are justified shall continually live their lives in faith. The question is, faith in what? Oh, well, when I do these things, I feel better. When I serve in this way, I feel better. When I I involve myself in in these activities, I feel better. That's what you're trusting in? The the question of our faith is, is in a person. Do you know who he is? His name is Jesus. In John chapter 4, Jesus comes in contact with this Samaritan woman. We're familiar with the the account. I want to just break right into the middle of it where Jesus asks or makes a statement in verse 13. John 4, 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the one that she's drawing out of, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will, what? Never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This isn't the only time Jesus talked about this. And this is, he's, you can almost see this reference back to Jeremiah. My people are seeking some other cistern to, to gather some water, but it's a broken cistern. I, I want to give you a real cistern that's, that's, that's going to hold water, and I want to fill it with living water. And Jesus says, I, I, have, a, I have a place that you can find this living water. It's in me. Look at chapter 7 now of John, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What's he talking about? When you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you want satisfaction, there's one location you you can come to. You know he says the same type of thing in John chapter 6 talking about the fact that he's the living bread. It's another image where Jesus says, come, I'll give you something that will fill you and it will fill you to the full. You will not need satisfaction anywhere else. Where are you seeking satisfaction? There's a song that's been written recently. It was written by Kristen Getty and Ed Cash, it's entitled "Living Waters." A few of the lyrics: "Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken, Peace unspoken? Rest beside these living waters. Christ is calling. Find refreshing at the cross of living waters." in the chorus. The question, are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters love, forgiveness, vast and boundless. Christ, He is our living waters. Where are you seeking satisfaction? In Christ? In Christ, you'll find all the satisfaction that you can handle. You won't be thirsty, you won't be hungry. He's enough. But if you find yourself over here and over there and over here and over there looking time and time again in different sources for a way that will finally feel filled, what you've chosen for yourself is a broken cistern that can hold no water. That broken cistern that you may have can be fixed in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, We struggle from time to time. Our affections are greatly affected by our emotions, by our passions, by our lusts. We ask that you'd help us in this next couple of moments, that we would yield ourselves and repent. Repent from seeking satisfaction in areas that will not give ultimate satisfaction. Help us. That we would seek to be filled to overflowing as we hunger and thirst after righteousness in Christ that we know you will fill. Do this supernatural work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.